Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. I'm Derek Glover, preacher of the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin, and I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend, family member, co-worker, or someone that you think would be interested to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week we started a series in, uh, in, in revolving around the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians. And we talked about why that analogy is so important. Why Paul writes about uh, this idea that when you have God in your life, when you have a heart that is in tune with God and with His Spirit, you produce certain attributes. And we talked last week about how that concept was to, to counter, uh, make a counterpoint to the idea that we must produce the good works first and then the Spirit will fill us. That is what Paul says that's not the case. The Spirit fills the penitent heart and fills the one who is saved and the one who calls on the name of the Lord and that Spirit produces the good works that come after. And he, he likened it to fruit. Uh, and that is a wonderful analogy. Fruit uh, does a couple of things. Number one, it's identifying. So Paul says, by these things, people will know who you are. By these attributes, people will know that you are a child of God. And uh, many times in our life, and we see it also in Scripture, it was a real problem for some of those who didn't like Jesus uh, and it's still a problem today sometimes in the church. We, we want to know whose team someone's on. We kind of need to draw some lines and know who's right and wrong and, and, and who's, who, who, who's you know, on, on the good side and who's not. And the Pharisees were that way. The uh, teachers of the law, the rabbis of the time, they had their rules. And those who didn't abide by those rules, well, they weren't on the right team. They weren't doing the right program. And they would ask Jesus about these things and try to trap him on these things. And try to set these, uh, draw these lines. And we feel a need sometimes uh, to, for definition. And oftentimes, Jesus, the, the New Testament writers, will respond and say, you will know by the fruit that they produce. You will know if they're on the right side or not by the fruit they produce. That's how we know. And that's how people know us. So fruit is identifying. But fruit is also a very important part of the reproductive process for plants. Uh, when God made the world back in Genesis, it says he made the plants and the trees, and he made them to reproduce after their own kind. Uh, I, 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 um, I think this is fascinating, uh, but I'm a nerd. So uh, that when we, when, if you ever made jello and maybe tried to put fruit in it, I'm not a big fan of fruit in my jello. I'm very picky about jello. But have you ever tried to cut up fresh pineapple and throw it in your jello and wait a little while? It's not going to set. Now, if you get some that's like pasteurized or has been, you know, treated uh, uh, so that, you know, it canned sometimes, but the fresh stuff, it will never set. Because what makes jello work are bonds of proteins that come together and make it jello, make it jiggly, right? And firm. 
But in that fruit, in that pineapple, are enzymes. And those enzymes, they break down those proteins. So it never sets. You just get mush. It's just really rich Kool-Aid, which is fine. You just have to eat it with a straw. Because that fruit was designed for a purpose. That acid and those enzymes are there for a purpose. They're the same things that are in your own body to break down food and protein. They do that to prevent microorganisms and pathogens and toxins and things that could kill the seed from getting to the seed. God designed the plants in this world to produce fruit because there is a seed inside. And that flesh that we love that tastes so good that's around it is a protective barrier to prevent things from getting there that could kill off the species of plant that might be important, if not vital, to our ecosystem. Now, that's all the science behind it, but when you take that into the analogy of bearing fruit as people, as people of the Spirit, we produce things that are vital to the reproductive process of faith to exponentially growing faith in our world and in our communities, these things that we do identify who we are, but in sharing them with the world around us, they begin to understand Jesus, they begin to understand the God we serve, and they begin to understand the heaven that we are pursuing by how we live. And those fruits, those attributes are the protection that we put around faith and around scripture, and around knowledge and understanding to offer to others that the world cannot destroy, that they can grow too as we have grown. I think it's a wonderful analogy that we talk about fruit. And each week we're going to look at one of these attributes. So of course this week we start with love. It makes perfect sense. The fruit of the Spirit is love first and foremost. That's where everything begins. It makes perfect sense that we would start there and that that's the first one that Paul lists because as was just read, Paul later wrote about faith, hope, and love and that the greatest of them is love. Why? Because that's where everything starts. That's the beginning and the end of everything. That is a reoccurring theme in Scripture. There was, it's probably, it probably has been stronger in the past than it is now. I think we've come a long way with this, but there has been a tendency to see God as having dual personalities uh, that somehow magically change when we go from, you know, Malachi to Matthew. We, we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and suddenly we have a different God that we're, that we're talking about because everybody talks about the God of the Old Testament. Well, you know, when... Um, when people lived, and, and no one really made it all the way because it was about 400 years, but when we went from the Old Testament to the New Testament, nobody actually knew we were switching testaments at that moment. Okay? So they, they didn't notice anything different. What, what changed was how God expressed himself, but God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament are remarkably similar. It's just we focus on the wars and the, the strange laws and stoning your children when they talk back, which was brought up a lot in my household growing up for some reason. Um, anyway, the, the God of the Old Testament is the same God. He didn't change. 
People think that the God of the New Testament is love and compassion because we see Christ and we see those themes more clearly in his son because that was the time for that. But think about the Old Testament and tell me there's not love there. I mean, God, first of all, he creates man, gives them this beautiful world, gives them everything. Now, now they messed it up, granted. But look what he created for them. That's love. Even after they left the garden, even after they had sinned, and even as man became wicked, he still found those who were righteous and who, who would serve him, and he cared for them. Noah and his family were carried through a great flood because God loved them. And the earth was repopulated because he loves mankind. And he chose a people. He chose a group of people and said, you're going to be mine. You're going to be my people. You're going to be my example to the world, my voice to the world. And later, when all the world through my son has access to me, they will look to you as the framework for how our relationship shall exist. He chose Israel. And they failed him over and over and over. And he took them back. He still saved them. He would continue to restore them over and over and over. When we read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which concludes with the verse Christian read, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, keeps no record of wrongs. That's God. God had a lot of practice at doing that because he had a very fickle and feeble people that he had chosen and he loved them anyway. And you and I are a feeble and fickle people that he chooses anyway. Throughout the Old Testament, love exists. Even in all that crazy stuff, you know, in, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about, you know, don't eat this food and don't eat that food and don't wear this and someone gets sick, send them out, you know, on their own. Um, those aren't real fun things to talk about and they're kind of strange, but there's love in instruction. We do it with our children. We give instruction uh, to make their lives easier because we love them. Uh, I, I was 10 years older than my nearest sibling and 20 years older than my youngest sibling. I had a unique perspective. Not only was I well aware that I was the best of the three of us, but I had already made all the mistakes and gotten in trouble, and I knew how that could be avoided. And so my brother, who's different than me, his personality is very different than me, but he would do things that would, I could tell he was headed down a path to, to getting in some trouble, and I would say, don't do that, don't do that. And it, it was almost to the point of irritation that he wasn't listening to me. And I remember one day, and he was probably about, um, oh goodness, probably about uh, six, seven years old. I was still at home. And I finally, I grabbed him by the shoulder and I said, I am trying to help you. I have already done what you are about to do, and it's not fun. Don't. Now, I told him that as much because he was annoying me as anything else, but also I wanted to help him. I've said that very thing to my children, my older two especially. I have done the thing that you are doing. Do not do it. Listen to me because I have some perspective. Because I love you, I will instruct you. And I will give you guidelines. There's love in Leviticus. Who knew? But it's there. 
Love is all through the Bible. It is what begins everything about what God has done. This whole story starts in love and ends in love. And we continue to write it in love. Because God loves us. God loves us. I mean, one of the most cliche Bible verse ever, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We learned that one when we're, you know, this big in Sunday school. Everybody knows it, and it's so familiar to us, we really don't stop to think what that verse means. It has the, it has the terrible quality of being too familiar. God gave his only son a profound and deep gift and sacrifice. But why? Love. He gave it to us because he loved us. That can't be missed. God loves us. And he acts on our behalf out of love and he gives to us out of love. God loves us. We are to love God. That's another part of this fruit. The reason we bear this fruit in the Spirit is because God loves us, but also because we, we should love God. In response to the love He gives us, yes, absolutely. In, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask, what's the greatest commandment? All these laws, all these rules, you tell us the greatest one. Uh, this is like, these are these gotcha questions, right? Um, it's really fun. Anytime there's like a Senate confirmation hearing for a Supreme Court justice, or any, and I don't care who, who's, who's nominating and who's doing the questioning and who's in power, they always have these, you know, grandstanding elected officials that'll give a 10-minute preamble, and then they'll ask a question, but their questions are designed to trip you up. Extreme examples, uh, technical jurisprudence questions designed to trip up these people. This is the kind of question they're asking Jesus. Which one is the most important of these laws? They're waiting for him to pick one and then hammer him on the one he didn't pick. And he gives a very wise answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. We are to love God. Because God has loved us. Now, there's another extension to that little line of logic because the verse right after that, when he gives that answer, he said, and the second greatest, he, he, he did extra credit work on that test, okay? They said, what's the greatest? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Oh, and by the way, here's number two, and it's a lot like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love those around you as much as you love yourself. You know, we think of humility as making ourselves lesser in, in respect to others. I don't know that that's necessarily what God asks. He just asks that we raise other people up higher. That's humility. Now, I love myself. I'm not, now, I don't, I don't catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror in the morning and think, my goodness, look at what, what I am. No, I... I love myself in, in the most natural human way uh, in self-preservation. You know, I eat. I take care of myself. 
I try not to do things that would injure me. I flinch when I hear a loud noise. All these things that are natural, we care about ourselves. We think of ourselves first, not in a harmful way, but in a natural way that we're wired. And what Jesus is asking us to do is to think about others in the same regard. Our first concern should be for others, as our first concern in many other ways is for ourselves. We put others first. And why? Well, because it's very similar to the, the greatest command. If, if we are to love God above all else, then how are those two alike? Jesus says, number one, love God. And number two, in a similar way, you should love others. They're alike because God's love for us and our reciprocal love for God is naturally connected to our love for others. If we recognize God's love for us and we return love to him, understanding that he also loves everybody else, then it only makes sense that that love should extend to those around us. In some way, Jesus is saying, our love for God is expressed in how we love others. I'm a child of God. He loves me. I love him in return. Part of that's obedience. Part of that is an attitude of the heart. But also part of it is I recognize that everyone else in this room is a child of God too. And God loves them. Therefore, I love them. And in loving you, I'm showing my love to God. That's why those two laws, those two commandments are number one and number two. And it's really, Jesus says, more like one and one A. They are alike because our love for others is a reflection and an expression of our love for God. God loves us and we are to love God. And that brings us to the last point that we are to love others because of God. I'll draw your attention to 1 John chapter 4. We'll end here today. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We are an extension, Paul's saying, or excuse me, John is saying, of God. We are an extension of the love that he shows. No one's seen him, but they can feel him through you and through us. God abides in us if we love one another. He's with us, walking with us, and his love is perfected in us. That doesn't mean that God needs us for his love to be perfect the way we understand perfect. Uh, this word means complete. God, God has love and shows love in many, many ways. 
But the most complete way that this world can be exposed to the love of God is to let Him take over our life and express our love to one another on His behalf. We can manifest God's love to those around us in the most complete way through human connection, guided by love and authored by God. And then we come to the final verse in the passage. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Because the fruit of the spirit is love. We start there. And John confirms it in verse 13 of chapter 4 of his first epistle. God abides in us if we love others. We can be God's hands and feet to show love to the world in a real and tangible way, though he cannot be real and tangible to human eyes. And he concludes with that verse, and this is how we know that God abides in us, because of his spirit. Because love expressed is a fruit of the spirit. It identifies, it protects. And it produces. I'm excited about the rest of this study. But we have to start with a solid foundation. And a foundation that is built on love is a strong foundation indeed. And the fruit of the Spirit, and this conversation about the fruit of the Spirit, is built on love. That's where Paul starts because that's where everything starts. When it comes to God, everything starts in love. Even the hard things. Even the not-so-great things, even the scary things, it all starts in love. So I, I, I hope you will continue to explore that topic and explore the topics to come. And next week we'll get to talk about joy. And, and I, lo- I love that one too. <laughs> but we start with love and, um, and go from there. This morning, um, you might be at a point in your life where love is a difficult concept for you. Either you're struggling to feel it because of broken hearts and broken relationships and and sadness. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're struggling uh, with your own mind and your own guilt. Whatever is causing the struggle, those things can present a blockade to love, both to feel it and receive it, but also to give it. God breaks down barriers. God destroys walls. His love tears through those things. And we, as a church, as an extension of that love, as hands and feet for that love, offer to you an opportunity to be wrapped in him, uh, to be prayed over, uh, to, uh, to have someone to talk to, to walk with you. If you have a need in that regard, if you need to feel love, Uh, If you need to break down the barriers that are preventing you from loving, then we offer an opportunity to you. And if you need to feel the ultimate source of love in the waters of baptism, as God himself is present with you, and as his spirit enters you, and as your sin is washed away, that is the greatest love. If you need to experience that to become a child of his, we encourage you to do so today. Don't let this moment pass you by. We offer an invitation uh, that is open to all as we stand and while we sing together.
Thank you for joining us for the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. We hope that you have found today's message to be uplifting, inspirational, and encouraging. Most of all, we hope that it helps you along your spiritual journey. If you have any questions or comments or would like to drop us a line, you can do so at MonroeWICOC at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to you joining us next week.